0: Hello and welcome to The Daily Means for Monday, March 23rd, 2020. Today, the coronavirus stimulus bill. And it's just like we thought, an interview with Renato Mariotti about the Department of Justice's attack on due process, the intelligence reports from January that warned Trump about coronavirus, the Trump administration appeals to kick people off food stamps, the first federal inmate tests positive, and and a McConnell aide is implicated in stock market moves. I'm your host, A.G., and I'm alone today, sheltering in place. All right. So thanks to our patrons. First of all, Um, our co-hosts are at home uh, getting paid and they continue to have health benefits. So thank you so much to all of our premium subscribers. Uh, It's just three bucks a month. You get these episodes ad free. You get them the night before they're released to the public, along with all sorts of bonus content, video from inside the studio. Uh, a bunch of different thank you gifts are available. We, you get our newsletter with my personal research notes. So thank you again for that. And if you can't swing it, we totally understand. These are hard times. Uh, just subscribe and listen. Maybe give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That's free. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, it really does mean the world to us, especially right now. Uh, today, we will have Jordan sending in some updates remotely. Uh, I will be having an interview with Renato Mariotti about Bill Barr trying to use the emergency powers uh, of the Department of Justice, or trying to instate emergency powers through the Congress to detain people indefinitely without trial. Uh, and we have a good news block at the end to seed some hope. So I look forward to that. We do have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, let's hear from Jordan. She's got a coronavirus update for us. Uh, here she is. Hello and welcome to Quarren beans uh that is my name
1: for this segment that I will now i I am Jordan if you didn't know that I will now be doing out of my living room alone. I get the A block today, which is super exciting. I get to bring you all the depressing coronavirus news, so apologies in advance. we have gotten some comments from listeners that have you know respectfully so kind of been like, I don't really want to be brought down by more coronavirus news. Anyway, you guys can uh, like curtail that, and we're not going to stop bringing that news, but what you can do is just skip. Uh, just There's a skip button on the bottom, and I'm, I'm not saying this like antagonistically or trying to be patronizing, just if you didn't know. There's a skip button that you can just keep pressing, basically, and just kind of scrub through the episode, and I do the A block, which will last probably about, like, I don't know ten ten or twelve minutes or so, and then you can get to the to the rest of the news, which we will cover, although we do cover some more coronavirus stuff later a little bit too, but it's not as intense as the headlines I'm about to go over right now, so trigger warning for coronavirus anxiety, and the next couple of minutes are just gonna be updates strictly about that. all right, here we go, so. News broke this morning that the U.S. now ranks third in total COVID-19 cases in the globe. Number one is China. Number two is Italy. The U.S. currently has about 31,000 cases reported, and the cases around the globe have now reached 328,000. Uh, while the globe has seen over 13,000 COVID-19-related deaths, it's important to note that over 94,000 have recovered from it. So just some a positive number there for you all. Uh, Sadly, Italy's seen a huge spike in their death toll recently. On Saturday, Italy's number of coronavirus-related deaths surged by 627. That's the largest single day of fatalities recorded in any country in the world, including China. Uh, The Italian government first went on national lockdown on March 9th, but health experts are saying that their delayed response to do so really is what probably resulted in such fatal consequences. I don't want this news alone to strike fear, but more so motivation to comply with stay-at-home orders and to really do your part to stop this from rapidly spreading. And if you're in a place where maybe they have an issue to stay-at-home order, if you're not already doing it, just think about doing it. It's I really think it's inevitable that it's going to be extended to pretty much every state in the country I can't see a situation in which you know only some states will have that order and others straight up won't i don't think that would make sense it seems like the way it's trending towards is everyone's gonna have to so may as well start early uh, especially if you have any symptoms and self-quarantine and just be smart Um, speaking of quarantining over the last few days we have started to see those stay-at-home orders ordered in various states around the nation and i think it's uh, like i said safe to say that's going to continue Currently, the states with stay-at-home orders uh, include California, New York, Illinois, and now Oregon. Uh, In global news, Germany has restricted gatherings of more than two people that came from um, Merkel. Families and people living under the same roof are exempt from the order, but it is a straight-up ban. It's not a suggestion. They are banning congregations of more than two people, unless it's inside the house of people that you're already living with. And they said that's going to remain in effect for at least two weeks. Um, But, again, I think the way that this is going, that's probably going to be extended past those two weeks. Uh, In other news, Senator Rand Paul has officially contracted COVID-19. He's the first U.S. senator to test positive and the only person to vote against the bipartisan $8 billion bill to provide emergency coronavirus funding. So, you know, I hesitate to label that. I don't know if that's Schadenfreude per se. Someone literally getting sick. That seems extra cruel, but he was asymptomatic and he um here's a quote from from his office. Senator Rand Paul has tested positive for COVID-19. He is feeling fine and is in quarantine. He is asymptomatic and was tested out of an abundance of caution due to his extensive travel and events. He was not aware of any direct contact with any infected person. He expects to be back in the Senate after his quarantine period ends and will continue to work for the people of Kentucky at this difficult time. 10 days ago our DC office began operating remotely. Hence virtually no staff has had contact with Senator Rand Paul. That's great that they're quarantining. Um it does still raise questions to me though about congressmen and women congregating period. It seems like something I mean, like I'm recording this remotely in my living room, you know. There, there's obviously our business, I guess, isn't as important as Congress. But you think there's a way that they could find out? So, so they could just meet without actually having hundreds of people all in one small chamber at once. I'm surprised that there has been more talk about that. I, I feel like they could, maybe they truly don't feel like they could uh, legislate effectively. But uh, are they really doing that, anyways? <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. I, I do think it's it's i don't know it strikes me it strikes me as odd during this time that people are just continuing to go in to such confined spaces with so many people and considering how many of them are so uh, like in that at-risk population i'm that's just very surprising to me but yeah just incredibly ironic that the the one senator that voted against that eight billion dollar bill has contracted it and who knows if he's passed it on to other people i don't know um some good news. Pharmaceutical company Merck said that they will donate half a million masks to New York City's Office of Emergency Management. That's great news because PPE right now is just in a horrible state. I keep seeing more and more anecdotes of personal friends on my feed, you know, media orgs doing write-ups on the state of PPE just from other people they've talked to, and it's incredibly bad and really, really scary. Stuff like people are getting one mask and they're supposed to keep hold of it you know day in and day out and and even though that's really not advised by the manufacturers of the masks in terms of their effectiveness and doctors are having to work without gloves and it's this is just all around the globe it's a huge issue and there's it's really scary so i think that's a that's a good news so many many good news block uh next up Governor Andrew Cuomo called on New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and other leaders to come up with a plan to reduce density in parks after he saw a bunch of people congregating in those park and green spaces over the weekend. Cuomo called the crowds at the parks reckless, arrogant, and selfish, obviously because of the huge risk that that winds up posing to everybody. Uh, He says that they need to take immediate action to stop that kind of gathering. And he gave the mayor and city council speaker, Corey Johnson, 24 hours to come up with a plan and suggested they consider closing some streets to traffic on the roads just by cars and open it up to pedestrians. He says, get creative, open up the streets. And that was at a news conference. So that's, that's an interesting idea. Imagine shutting down the roads, everybody just hanging out, walk. I don't know how that works in terms of if people like actually need to get anywhere, especially in the case of an emergency, that that's probably a lot of resources that would go into effectively managing that. But I don't know, kind of a cool idea. I do think that's very important though and something that needs to be called out. In San Diego where we're based, I definitely have been seeing the exact same thing happen. Just so I went to um there's a place called Mission Bay. And it's like a beautiful beautiful Bay area. You know, Fourth of July, it's like completely packed. There's bonfires parks it's like jungle gyms it's such a cool area of san diego and i thought uh hey everyone will be at home i can go out there and go on go on a run and get some fresh air i pull in there and it is like the busiest i've ever seen it just massive groups of people hanging out together sitting next to each other walking like all around each other all playing on the jungle gyms like nothing had changed the parking lots were maybe like a little bit less full than they normally are on a saturday but it looked like there was no changes whatsoever in terms of the public's opinion on like how they need to conduct themselves. And then there was also all these pictures coming out of Pacific Beach, San Diego, of just truly, I think it was more densely populated than it normally is. It it looked like the first weekend of summer break. And it's, it's, it's like baffling to me. I didn't expect to see that. Because for me, when I went up to Mission Beach and I saw that, I was like, oh shit, this is not the point of all of this. And so I got in my car and I and I drove back home. It just it was very it's like I don't even know if I can run conceivably without walking by someone that's gonna cough or I don't know, maybe I'll cough because I'm very out of shape and not good at running. And then what if I have it and I don't know. I'm asymptomatic currently, but who knows? It's just a really, really bad thing that people are doing i think voluntarily which unfortunately is probably only going to lead to more draconian measures and it's like this bad cycle of people that are thinking oh i feel so confined and this is you know this is bullshit i want to go outside and i think these people kind of defiantly are going to these public spaces and frequenting them not realizing it's only going to cause this to go on for longer and it's going to cause even more of a government intervention as is displayed by Cuomo's talking to Bill de Blasio about that stuff so just please stay home <laughs> please there's YouTube has these amazing like nature flyover videos you know the girl with the wolf shirt knows about those they're the best just look above flyover nature videos listen watch it's great and open up a window and then we'll get through together or find places around you know there's definitely places in, in neighborhoods that truly like don't have like anyone there you can drive your car there and just hang out roll down the window and chill uh we did that the other day watch the sunset that was really nice but if you see friends that are doing this too try to like if there ever was a time for you know call out culture and telling people maybe rethink this i think i think this would be that time um okay we got another headline federal emergency management agency administrator fema uh Peter Gainer he said on ABC's this week that medical masks began shipping yesterday from the national stockpile again that's good news for the PPE shortage i can't imagine we're going to see a slowing down of this pulling of resources from various areas anytime soon i can only hope it increases And uh, next up, Miami-Dade County Mayor Carlos A. Jimenez ordered that all boat ramps and marinas in the city would be closed for recreational use after a bunch of images and videos of boat parties in that area circulated online Saturday night. That's last night, so we're recording this Sunday. So again, another example of people not giving a shit at all about any of these orders, just going out and posting it online, which Nikki Glaser, she's a great comic, um, she had posted something on Twitter like maybe a week ago or so. That was essentially just urging people to, first off, don't be an idiot and go to those public spaces that are so densely populated right now and frequented. And don't, especially don't post it on social media because you're going to feel like a complete asshole in a couple weeks when things start getting as, they're already bad, right? They're like, just realistically, they're already bad. So if we go, if we get to a point that it's at in Italy where we're seeing huge, death rate surges after we've already taken massive lockdown measures but it was maybe too little too late to some degree um obviously not at all we need to continue to lock down as much as we can but 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 you're gonna feel like such an idiot when stuff is really bad and you're looking back thinking oh my god what if i contributed to that that would really fucking suck i already personally feel like that i did a comedy show last week that wasn't canceled and like it's, it's no one's I don't think it's anybody's fault all right it's like the information in the city and stuff was very disjunctive and everything and it wasn't as cut and dry as it is right now but even I feel like an idiot you know for for kind of being out there when it seemed like maybe everybody should have been um inside so just make the right call just stay home Um, Next, Russia's military is sending medical aid to Italy to help in its fight against the coronavirus epidemic, including disinfection vehicles and military virologists. Russia's defense ministry uh, said that military transport planes will be delivering eight mobile brigades of military medics, special disinfection vehicles, and other medical equipment to Italy starting today, Sunday. Uh, This happened after a phone call between Putin and Italy's prime minister and it really i think that this was pointed out in the reporting um it's it's pretty it illuminates the eu's sort of relative failure to to appropriately support italy in the epidemic and it also follows the trend of china sending a plane load of medics to help them too um, I think this, the reporting, uh, the reporter on this story also pointed out that this is a pretty good PR opportunity and diplomacy opportunity for more authoritarian governments and, uh, just history, history-wise, you know, Italy was already one of the, the chummiest countries to Russia and the EU. And I think that this is a bit of like, um, and, and I don't know, it's, it's good. It's good PR, something to remember for sure. And I want to end with this uh, last little bit of good news. On Saturday night, uh, Audible started offering free streaming of children's stories in six different languages to help parents as long as schools are closed. That's really cool. I think we're going to continue to see an amazing amount of community support come out um, from all of this. And we had, um, I think it was, I think it was Kevin... I forget. This is bad. It was I tuned in like halfway into the news conference, but there was a San Diego um I think it was our mayor, but he was basically saying, I'm seeing so many beautiful examples of people coming together when ironically we have to physically be forced apart and if it took us literally being apart to see how there we are for each other truly, then I'm I'm in a sense thankful for this opportunity. Obviously, that's just an existential silver lining. Not to diminish all of the really awful consequences of all of this. But I do think that we're going to continue to see a lot of positive sides of humanity. The internet has a lot of really great shit going on right now. There's like free stand-up shows. There's poetry readings. There's massive DJ parties that I know some of our listeners are involved in too. If you all, in fact, if you guys have um, things that you've seen that have just been really uplifting... Uh, connecting people together or other things people can do remotely to help aside from giving money or if there's organizations that you think are extra good to give money to uh, hit me up on twitter at jordan's confused let me know and then i'll blast those out so other people can see them and get get in on some of the good stuff uh, that is my corona virus update for now i hope everybody's doing okay we're all in this together this is really fucking weird obviously and please just stay safe and be good and stay calm, breathe, be healthy, schedule, whatever helps you um, do that just day by day. Okay. I love y'all.
0: Have a good day. Bye. So thank you, Jordan, for that update. One of the things that really struck me this morning about the Cuomo uh, press conference, which now I watch instead of these press briefings from the White House. I mean, I do watch the White House press briefings. I just don't really take anything they say. Very seriously, I take it all with a grain of salt. But something that um, Governor Cuomo from New York brought up today that I thought was interesting was the, the Defense Authorization Act. Trump has invoked it, but he hasn't used it. And his unwillingness to use it. Is what is driving up the costs of personal protective equipment that is needed desperately by our frontline workers, our first responders, our doctors, our nurses, uh, our healthcare providers, uh, and our healthcare staff. And and basically, what's happening is is he you know he's getting on these conference calls with governors saying, hey, you order them, you get them yourself. And what that is doing is causing a bidding war uh, between different states. Um, and, and, and that's causing the, it's driving the price up. So what I think Cuomo said normally one of these masks costs 85 or 95 cents and now, uh, they have to bid $7 a piece for them because they're bidding against California and Washington state and, uh, you know, a, a number of other states and uh, pretty much it's going to be all the other states in the union here soon. And so that is really driving up the cost to the taxpayer uh, or, you know, it it eventually falls on the taxpayer. Uh, Whereas if if Trump invoked the Defense Authorization Act, he could force these companies to produce these masks at the 95 cent level. And so it, it makes me wonder how he is positioning himself or his family or his friends or his donors to profit off of this epidemic and so that is actually really concerning to me um, so again thank you Jordan for that update we have a lot more news to get to and we will get to it right after this break so stick around with us if you want these episodes ad free again just become a premium subscriber at patreon.com/ the dailybeans stay with us
2: after these messages will be
0: right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Daily Harvest. As someone who is uh, pretty health conscious, I'm always trying to be mindful of what I eat, even my quickest meals. And that's why I really love Daily Harvest. They deliver the food you want to eat, but you don't have time to make. And they deliver it right to your door. So I always seem to be in a rush uh, and fitting in time to cook healthy meals with enough fruits and vegetables can often get neglected. And now that we do have some free time on our hands, going to the store can definitely be a pain. But Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat more fruits and vegetables with thoughtfully sourced, chef-crafted foods that can be prepared in five minutes or less. So not only am I getting uh, you know, enough nutrients and vitamins and fiber filling in the gaps in my diet, but it works with my busy schedule because their meals are so quick and easy to make. They work directly with farms to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak, and then they freeze them within 24 hours to lock in the nutrients. And everything stays fresh until you're ready to enjoy it. You can choose from more than 65 different options like smoothies, hearty soups, harvest bowls, and overnight oats. And each recipe takes one step to prepare, with room to make them your own. So add your favorite milk blend uh, to to get a smoothie going or heat up a harvest bowl and top it with avocado or a fried egg, I put little bacon bits on mine. Um, I personally right now love the wheat, grass, banana, cucumber smoothie a lot. I'm really loving, loving the cauliflower, rice, and pesto harvest bowl. Um, It's like pesto risotto. It's really delicious. So whether you're at your desk or on a hike or you know just sheltering in place like we all are Daily Harvest is easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or a snack. So go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code dailybeans to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code dailybeans for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Again that's dailyharvest.com. All right everybody welcome back. So It seems to me that the big news from this weekend, and so I'm going to lead with this um, after the initial coronavirus update, obviously, is the story in The Washington Post. And here's the lead from that story. They say, quote, U.S. intelligence agencies were issuing ominous classified warnings in January and February about the global danger posed by the coronavirus, while President Trump and lawmakers played down the threat and failed to take action that might have slowed the spread of the pathogen, according to U.S. officials familiar with spy agency reporting. Uh, So these specific intelligence reports did not predict when the virus would reach our shores uh, or, or... um, how, but it did track the spread in China and then to other countries very closely, and it warned the White House that China was downplaying the severity of the outbreak. They weren't releasing all the information, as we know in the early days. Trump actually praised Chinese the um, the, the Chinese and his buddy uh, Xi Jinping on their response to the virus via tweet, uh, but these intelligence reports painted an early picture. Uh, that this would become a global threat that would require a swift response that is, to this day, lacking uh, in the United States government. According to the Washington Post, the intelligence agencies have been warning on this since January. And, of course, one must wonder how the firing of the director of national intelligence, who sits atop all 17 intelligence agencies, was fired by Trump and replaced with Rick Grinnell, who has zero experience in intelligence, but instead serves as a sycophant for Trump, a mouthpiece um, that looks good on television, but has no real world intelligence experience. And the warnings increased in volume uh, as January went on. And then into February, they just kept getting louder uh, and more frequent. And of course, the surge in reporting coincided with Senator Burr selling off nearly $2 million in stocks prior to the market crash. But Burr issued a statement Friday saying he only traded those stocks based on public reporting, despite having eyes on those early intelligence briefings. And we'll go over that a little bit more in detail uh, in in, in a few minutes here. But even State Department personnel were tracking early reports, noting that uh, in the third week of January, cable traffic showed U.S. diplomats in Wuhan were being flown home on private chartered planes, which was a clear sign to the State Department. Mike Mike Pompeo heads up the State Department. It was a clear sign of the significant health risks involved. And inside the White House, people were struggling with getting Trump to take this seriously. Um, Red lights were blinking, the Washington Post says. Azar couldn't get, that's the head of Health and Human Services, couldn't get Trump on the phone until January 18th. Uh, And we know how Trump keeps bragging that he shut travel down from China. I shut it down. And because of that, I'm awesome and we're great. Uh, That was a move he made February 3rd, long after multiple officials had urged him to be tougher on China because they weren't being forthcoming with information on the outbreak. Uh, But by the time Trump was shown the Imperial College models, uh, we went over those models in previous shows. And after that changed his tone coming out on Monday the 16th, by then, it was ju- it was too late. So that is sort of what's been going on with these Washington Post reports. And of course, during a press conference, one of the um, uh, one of the people asked uh, one of the reporters asked Trump about. This report is very bad. It's terrible reporting. Um, And he just shut him. Did you be quiet? He said, quiet, quiet, and then just went on to the next question, not even wanting to address the fact that he knew about this or people were at least trying to get his attention about it in early January. Um, Another thing that's happening, we've been talking this week about the USDA food stamps uh, SNAP program and how they were uh, Trump administration wanted to go forward with an April 1st deadline. To require people to work twenty hours uh, in, in order to receive SNAP benefits, and a judge blocked that uh, injunction. It was Judge Beryl Howell, uh, one of our friends—not personal friends, but friend of the pod—and uh, she had said, "Look, there. First of all, no. It's that there's. The, I question the legality of this, and and second of all." During this time, uh, you know with with coronavirus epidemic spreading, the fact that people are getting laid off, people are going to have a hard time working twenty hours to meet this work requirement, and people who aren't working are going to have a hard time uh, getting that work and and people who are working are going to be losing their hours amidst all this. You want to cut off food stamps. Uh, well, the snap program, it's formerly known as food stamps. and uh, so she filed an injunction saying, nope, uh, we're not going to do this right now." And then the USDA under the Trump administration has the gall to appeal this. They want to continue uh, with their plan uh, as of April first to 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 put these work requirements, these you know that are going to be ten times, hundred times more difficult to meet uh, on people who need. Um, this benefit. And so they're going forward full steam. Uh, The Trump administration is appealing this uh, decision uh, by Judge Beryl Howell and and wants to move forward uh, with this rule. So I figured you should know about that because what a bunch of dicks. And from Bloomberg News 18 hours ago, um, in Washington, an inmate in a federal jail in New York City has tested positive for coronavirus. This makes the first confirmed case in the federal prison system. The inmate, who is housed at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, New York, complained of chest pains on Thursday, uh, a few days after he arrived at the facility. The Federal Bureau of Prisons told the Associated Press um, that, you know, he was complaining of these chest pains a few days after he he got there. He was taken to a local hospital off the premises and was tested for COVID-19, and the inmate was discharged from the hospital on Friday and returned to the jail. He tested positive. Uh, and he was immediately placed in isolation, the agency said. The Bureau of Prisons, headed up by Bill Barr, learned Saturday that he had tested positive for COVID-19. So that's happening, and that's very dangerous. And as I mentioned briefly during the story about the intelligence agency's briefing about the outbreak all the way back in January, uh, and one of those briefings took place January 24th, and that intelligence briefing was attended by Senator Richard Burr, and Senator Kelly Loeffler from Georgia. That day, Trump told all of us, the public, not to worry, saying everything would be fine, quote, it'll all work out well, unquote. And instead of warning Americans um, about the potential epidemic, The Daily Beast first reported that Loeffler sold between 2 and $3 million worth of her and her husband's stock. And not only did she sell off a bunch of tech and hotel stock, But she bought a couple hundred thousand dollars in Citrix stock. And Citrix, uh, as you probably know, is a tech company that makes teleworking software. So that seems like blatant insider trading to me. And then ProPublica, or ProPublica, depending on how you like to say that, broke the story about Burr's stock sales of about 1.8 million between his wife and himself. Um, they sold their hotel stock, they in 33 different transactions, and since, you know, since that day it's uh, you know since the, it was about a week before the the market crashed and since then hotel stock's been hammered. Um, back to Loeffler, um, she was appointed to her senate seat last year by Georgia's governor and is running for re-election this November. Um, so she's been vehemently denying these charges. Burr is currently in his third term and says he will not run again in 2022, I believe, is when he is up for re reelection. Um, a lot of people are calling, though, for his immediate removal from being the, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, and that he, an ethics review should be opened into this trading. Um, their sales are, quote, an immense and outrageous abuse of the public trust. According to Lawfare's Susan Hennessy, she says, "quote It's an inexcusably terrible thing to have done." Um, now, you may hear from some Trump supporters that Diane Feinstein sold stock, as did some other members of Congress, including James Inhofe, who's a Republican from Oklahoma, Ron Johnson. We all know that guy, Wisconsin Republican. Uh, but none of their trades look particularly suspicious, according to Bloomberg. Uh, Feinstein said she did not attend the January 24th briefing and her stock is in a blind trust, which means she didn't make the decision to sell. And the transaction lost her money because the trust was selling shares of a biotech stock, the value of which since has risen. Uh, transactions were part of a systematic selling of stocks that he started after he became chairman of the armed services committee. And Ron Johnson sold stock in his family's plastic business as part of a process that has been occurring for months. Uh, his sale also occurred well after the stock market began falling. So they've looked into those. And it, so if you ever have anybody saying, oh, but what about, you know, Democrat Diane Feinstein? Nope, uh, not the same. Um, uh, Jeff Blahar of the National Review has a helpful summary on Twitter in which he argues uh, Senator Burr's transactions are the worst. Um Loeffler, Who's extremely wealthy and married to the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, frequently sells stock and has said, quote, multiple third party advisors, not her or her husband, made the decision to sell the shares in January and in February. The notion that Feinstein or Johnson did something unethical, Belhar wrote, is flat wrong. Uh, Don Moynihan of Georgetown University agrees with that assessment. So so you know, that's where we're at with those uh, specific things, and and I it's I don't it's unconscionable to me that they would benefit from from this. so um, particularly Burr and Lawler. And I've just been replying to their tweets with an FU and it's been it's been feeling pretty good. I haven't been banned yet for it, so I think I'll continue to do that uh, until you know maybe they'll sit me out for 12 hours. <laughs> I don't know. but it's just absolutely horrible to think that they would have sat in that January 24th briefing while Trump and, and everyone else is saying everything's going to be okay. And then selling stock in hotels and buying stock in teleworking software—it's it absolutely blows my mind. They they should not be. I don't know what recourse to take against them other than to you know at least strip Burr of his uh, chairmanship uh, over the intelligence committee. At the very least, we should be doing that and opening ethical investigations in the House. Um, So. That is uh, the news. We have more uh, right after this quick break. So uh, we have uh, Renato Mariotti is going to join us Um, and he's going to we're going to discuss the Department of Justice seeking emergency powers amid the coronavirus pandemic. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG and this segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Uh, hiring used to be hard, multiple job sites, uh, I'd have stacks of resumes, confusing review processes, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done and that's ZipRecruiter.com dailybeans ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites. They do it for you, but they don't stop there. Uh, They have a very powerful matching technology they use. And with it, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience, and they invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing, so you can filter candidates fast and focused on the best. Focus on the best ones. Uh, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, our listeners can go to ziprecruiter.com/dailybeans. That's ziprecruiter.com/dailybeans. That's d-a-l-y, d-a-i-l-y, b-e-a-n-s. So ziprecruiter.com/dailybeans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, everybody, welcome back and, and thank you for being with us. Joining us today for the interview is former, for, excuse me, former federal prosecutor and host of the On Topic podcast, Renato Mariotti. Uh, Renato, thanks for coming on the Daily Beans today.
2: Absolutely. Happy to be on. So uh, how are you holding up? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm doing well. Um, it's a, uh, you know, this is a stressful time for everyone, but I feel very thankful that I have a job that I can do indoors. Uh I'm able to even do court arguments over the phone, I've learned, uh, and I've done that this week. But, you know, it's a stressful time, I will say, for people who are facing the prospect of arrest. And I, I do represent some people in that scenario. So it's, it's I definitely feel the stress from others.
0: Yes, and some uh, f- you know filings that the Department of Justice made with Congress could impact that. So let's let's talk about that. The lead from Politico reads that the Justice Department has quietly um, asked Congress for the ability to ask chief judges to detain people indefinitely without trial during emergencies. That's part of a push for new powers that comes as the coronavirus spreads throughout the U.S. So, what is your top line response to what's happening at the Department of Justice? What they're asking Congress for here?
2: Well, it's, it's concerning. It's, it's, you know, what it shows us is that, you know, our, our system, our criminal justice system is not built on, uh, it's not built so that you can have sort of an indefinite suspension during an emergency. In other words, we have to keep our criminal justice system working, but the way it's built is there's constitutional rights that we have. Like, for example, your right to a speedy trial, which is constitutional and statutory. If you have a right to, if you get arrested, to be brought before a judge, and to be able to have you know hear the charges against you and challenge that, um, and get an indictment uh, by a grand jury of of course of human beings who would meet in a room and vote, um, and then you would have a right to d- demand and get go to trial within a certain number of days. So, you know all of these rights are things that we expect because ultimately those are your protections if you are accused wrongly, um, if the government doesn't have the evidence, if they're alleging things that are false. Um, those are your that's your recourse and of course you know what what the concern is here like i you know i don't one thing i will just say to people who heard this headline i'm sure they're thinking okay the trump administration wants the power to just round up everybody and throw us into camps and, and that's not what this is this isn't about that but what it's is about is essentially if the justice department decides that somebody they want to arrest someone and they should be detained what they're essentially saying is we want to be able to tell the judge you know, right now we can't have a trial, so we're just going to hold this person indefinitely until we can. And that's that's a very frightening proposition for somebody who's about to be arrested and who thinks that the government doesn't have the evidence against them.
0: Yeah, and these aren't just, you know, page six laws. These aren't things that were written in the 70s. These are like core tenets of the Constitution. Habeas corpus, right to a speedy trial, etc., uh, a putt trial of your peers, um and so you know this is this this isn't just uh you know some sort of um, you know secondary or tertiary policy that that's come up you know more recently these are what our country was founded on
2: yeah i mean it is the core is the core protection that you have from a sort of a tyrannical action by the government you know i you know i often am telling clients that ultimately what we have here, what our leverage is here, is that we can go to trial and win, okay, and that's ultimately what we have on our side that is what you have if you are in a position where you're being accused of doing something wrong, you know I know you've featured uh, before you know Andrew McCabe and his story a lot, for example, you know that was a case where the government didn't have the evidence to charge him, but if they went ahead and did it anyway, his recourse would have been to go to trial and win, and you know if he if the government can say, you know what, we're charging you, but indefinitely, we're not going to have a trial because of this emergency. Um, essentially, he, you know, he's in limbo for all that time, and at least for him, you know, he has, uh, a, you know, he has a home, and he he would presumably be out on bond. But there's a lot of people who are concerned, and I, frankly, I've had a counsel people who are concerned. That the government might arrest them sometime in the next thirty days and throw them in some place where they would be crowded with other people who could be infected.
0: Yeah, and and we just had our first uh, case of somebody, a federal inmate, um, test positive for COVID nineteen. So that's, you know, definitely uh, a concern. And I also, and this is just wild speculation, but I have to think after, you know, studying Bill Barr and this Justice Department closely for the past year, I think it's the one year anniversary of his release of his four page memo of the Mueller report, um, if they aren't specifically thinking of certain people. Uh, when they're when they're making these rules, like Assange, we're trying to uh, you know extradite that guy. A Comey is being looked at by Durham as well as probably Andy McCabe again, even though that case was dismissed. And I just have to I have to wonder uh, if this isn't if they're you know they're not thinking specifically about certain people. But that's that's again speculation, neither here nor there. And it, and it's regardless of whether they have specific people in mind, it's still. Um, very concerning.
2: Well, it, look to me, this is concerning because no matter who you are as an American, um, we have we have an expectation of how the system works, and we have procedural protections to make sure that everyone is treated fairly. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand. I wrote a, a column in Politico uh, this week about how the, the uh, judicial system is is evolving to deal with coronavirus because I practice across the country. And I have been seeing the orders coming from courts all over the place, state and federal courts across the country, into my inbox telling me how all the changes. And, you know, some of this stuff, um, you know, is an understandable uh, um, change. Like, okay, we're going to postpone certain deadlines. We're going to move civil trials. We're going to uh, do things by video conference or by telephone. And all of that does make some amount of sense. Mm. Um, but there is something that's being lost here. I'm worried about the permanent effect it has. And for people who are going to potentially lock up, there absolutely has to be constitutional protections. We saw in this last campaign, there can certainly be a lot of people riled about locking someone up. But in this country, it's not done unless there's an indictment by a grand jury, there's a trial of your peers that's you know, speedy and public and so on, so that we can ensure that people have uh, you know, received the, the due process that they're entitled to under the Constitution.
0: Well, and this is one of the reasons Mueller didn't even accuse Trump of a crime uh, and uh, felt that it was unconstitutional to indict him because he couldn't – to, to say that he had committed obstruction of justice because he, as the president, can't be indicted because of the DOJ policy memo and therefore would not have the chance to defend himself in a court of law, which is his right – under the Constitution. So it's it's just sort of interesting that, that we've come full, sort of full circle on that. Um, the department here, and this is something that you and I spoke a little bit offline about, they asked Congress also to pause the statute of limitations for criminal investigations and civil proceedings uh, during national emergencies and for one year following the end of the national emergency, according to the draft legislative text. Can you explain what that means and why this is a, a subject that's dear to your heart?
2: Sure. So, and, and they, I think it's also, you said civil, I think it's also in criminal proceedings. So the statute of limitations, you know, for federal offenses is usually five years. And that can be what they call told or paused or extended by, by agreement. So in other words, if the government's thinking about indicting you, but you're in the plea negotiations with them, for example, you can sign an agreement and say, you know, we'll, I'll extend this for a month or a year or six months or whatever, as long as you agree to it. And and I will just say that I've actually researched this issue for a client recently, very recently, and if you don't agree, it is almost impossible under under existing law for the government to extend that with good reason. We don't want the government, you know, to essentially, you know, say, hey, we don't have our craft together. We want to indefinitely investigate this person from, you know, years into the future, even though we haven't been able to build a case, you know, for five years. And so... You know, essentially, what the Justice Department is doing here is they're they're saying, "Look, we have this national emergency right now. We don't have grand juries that are impaneled, and you know, we want the ability to essentially extend the statute of limitations on masse for everyone throughout the duration of this emergency." And one problem with that, of course, is that who who decides when the emergency ends? Right? You know, we have been technically at war. In Afghanistan, you know, and using these authorization of military force that was passed in 9/11, now for almost 20 years, mm-hmm. you could imagine this being a, a crisis, quote unquote, for for a long time in the future. Even if things get a lot better, and we couldn't panel grand juries, so that's uh, one concern. But the second concern, I think, is you know, for people um, who are in this situation, you know, ultimately what it's, it's basically doing is giving the government sort of an unlimited opportunity to continue building its case against you. Now, I do think, uh, you know, to f- take the flip side of it, okay, is that I understand where the, that, as I said before with the other issue, I understand where the government's coming from sometimes that, you know, sometimes it is the, in fact the case and the government has to act, right, when there's some something, something you know, that, you know, for instance, with the prior issue, if someone's dangerous, the government has to arrest them and they're going to have to figure that out with judges. And ultimately, they're going to have to have, you know, uh, um, you know, a hearing and the judge is going to, um, you know, make whatever decision is correct based on those facts and circumstances. And in this situation, what I would expect the government to do is get their crap together, so to speak, you know, return either return an indictment. And if they can't get an indictment charge by a complaint, which is not, uh, you know, not an indictment, and try to get the judge in that in that specific situation to extend their time to, you know, indict the person, you know, versus charging via complaint, you know, uh, for some period of time due to exigent circumstances. I will say that there is the, – the government has a legitimate concern here, but the, the issue on the other side, and on the flip side of it, um, is that, you know, right now – um, there are people like some of my clients who are really concerned about the government taking drastic action and potentially you know, using the threat of locking them up with uh, people who have coronavirus as a way of uh, getting, le- you know, leverage to get what they want out of a plea negotiation or something else.
0: Mm. Yeah, and and like you said, uh, who who ultimately makes the decision? First of all, we don't know when the crisis will end, so then we don't know when a year after the end of, of the crisis is. And uh and would the Department of Justice like have the sole power to waive the tolling of statute of limitations? Like could this work against uh, you know, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump, uh Donald Trump Jr. uh where, you know, you and I had this discussion last July about could we toll the statute of limitations on a president who can't be indicted Mm -hmm. because he's the president, uh, and and if he wins again uh, this November he will outlive, he will be president longer than any statute of limitations would last, and you know, or at least most of the federal uh, crimes that we're interested in charging him with at some point, perhaps. So then could it work against them? And then who has the sole discretion to decide which cases it is used in? I'm assuming the Department of Justice would just give that discretion to themselves.
2: That, that's right. And, you know, I, I will say that yeah, they would be essentially the ones exercising that discretion, presumably, uh, and they wouldn't be exercising it against President Trump. And I would just say that, to this, I know that when we've discussed this in the past, I was skeptical about extending the statute of limitations. I know people, Neil Cocktail had, had suggested that on my podcast that that might happen. But when I look at the case law, I think it's very unlikely that that would happen. And I think, you know, the reality is that's why this is so such a – a extraordinary request by the Justice Department and I will say to you uh, AG I did actually reach out to the reporter who I know from Politico she said her source is not gonna be re- is not willing to reveal the primary source document so I couldn't see the the details of this but it is disturbing unfortunately when I reached out to uh, people in Congress what I'm told is that it's dead on arrival at least on the Democratic side of the of, of things so hopefully this won't happen and they but you know I imagine this is a starting point a starting negotiation point by the justice department and I think we should expect to see the department trying to push to get some changes along these lines in the months to come because what I'm seeing on the ground is somebody who who now I was a federal prosecutor for uh, you know over nine years but now I'm on the other side of cases with them what I see is that they are trying to scramble to you know, bring cases and 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 push things forward uh, in this period of time as this crisis is uh, growing.
0: Yeah, and that's I think it was Betsy Woodruff Swan who who did the piece in Politico. Um. Correct. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful reporter. And yep, the, like you said, the Dems are, are calling it dead on arrival. Uh, another controversial request, we, you were just talking to me about the federal rules of criminal, criminal procedure to expand the use of video conferencing, etc. But that the DOJ wants to let some of those hearings happen without the defendant's consent. Uh, according to the draft legislative text, from you know that that Betsy Woodruff Swan is reporting on here, and I think that that kind of again goes to the heart of what you were talking about, uh, about have you really need to get that de- the defendant's permission, like you were saying, to get them the, their permission to toll the statute of limitations. You, I think, would also need to get their permission to have a video conference hearing, uh, because they should be able to demand an in person hearing. Correct?
2: Yeah, and if, if that exactly is how the rule is now. And, you know, it's, you know, I will just say that I could understand a situation where it could be difficult to have an in-person hearing. I could see the judge perhaps trying to make a request to the defense and, and, and you know, making accommodations to the defense to ensure that the video conference is held in a way they were comfortable with. But essentially giving the defendant that right to refuse Give them the leverage to make sure that the that the, the proceeding is going to happen in a fair way. And what we're seeing in New York City, where they are there, this is in state in state court, where they're they they do not have that right, and everything is going by video conference. Is you're having people plead guilty to offenses after a brief conversation with, with a lawyer they've never met. You know, essentially, on the other end of this line is a is a defender. A public defender who you've never met in your life, you have a very brief conversation with them, you're pleading guilty, and you don't even have, you know, the ability to meet with them and talk with them. It's just this sort of streamlining of justice and assembly line of criminal justice, of a criminal justice system. It's disturbing to me. It's why I wrote about that that issue myself. I, I am concerned because to me, one of the important aspects of the criminal justice system is the personal uh, one, you know, interaction that you have and seeing these people as human beings. You know, it's one thing to press a button or to sign a piece of paper or check a box when there's some disembodied voice or some guy, a fuzzy picture on a screen, and you're making decisions about their life. It is very different when that person is standing in front of you and there are tears in their eyes and they're crying and they're scared. And I think that that is important that have that humanity and that human interaction is important. And I know we got problems right now in the short term and we have a crisis and we have to deal with it, but we have to absolutely make certain that we don't use this as an excuse to change the system going forward and to turn it into something where it is just an assembly line and that it doesn't have this important human element that it has always had.
0: Couple that uncertainty and that assembly line uh, uh, system of justice with the the you know the the federal sentencing guidelines put out by this administration that we must you know recommend the maximum sentence and and then it just sort of snowballs into this really difficult uh to it it's just it becomes difficult to square with the constitution
2: well i i will say that you know in the you know traditionally the the way that the constitution has been interpreted is that the present the defendant's presence in person is required for mm-hmm key pieces, you know, all key aspects of a criminal proceeding and arraignment and and at uh, sentencing and then trial and so on and so forth. If we change that and people are essentially getting tried and, and prosecuted in absentia where they're not off the scene and just, this whole proceeding is happening that determines your future, I, I think the potential abuse of that is very significant. And so I'm jumping up and down about this because I understand that there's an emergency. We all are making changes. We're all, you know, trying to, um, uh, you know, uh, deal with this crisis. But we can't destroy the things that are important and that that are essential to making our country what it is. It's just like when we had a governor try to suspend elections on, a, you know, on his own say so in violation of a court order because he says there's an emergency. You know, I get what's going on. I get everyone's trying to deal with the health crisis, but you know, we can't have our leaders being able to suspend elections, and we also can't have our leaders just, you know, be having the ability to throw people in prison without the sort of process that our government has always been required to have under the Constitution.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Not without, like, express written that it'll go back, (laughs) and or, uh, but still, it just, it probably just shouldn't be that way in the first place, and and, uh, it is, it is, Frightening. So and, and hope, like you said, hopefully it's it's dead on arrival in the House anyway. We, we elections have consequences. We we had a blue wave in, in 2018. And, and I hope that uh, I hope that holds when when it comes to things like this. And I think it will. We even had Mark Lee, a super conservative jerk face. Uh, he's like, you're not doing this over my dead body, Mike Lee. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in Utah. Yeah, Utah. I don't think I don't think it's going to get very far. So, uh, but I I definitely wanted to discuss it with uh, with someone. I'm glad I got to discuss it with you. Uh, you have a lot of experience in this, and I hope everyone checks out the on-topic podcast. Uh, thank you, former federal prosecutor, good friend Renato Mariotti. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks, AG. Anytime.
0: All right, everybody. We'll be right back with the good news. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I know some of you uh, are sleeping on a saggy old mattress at night, and you deserve better than that, so give yourself an upgrade with Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has a quick quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and it matches your body type and sleep style to the perfect mattress for you. Uh, There's nobody on the planet exactly like you. Nobody sleeps just like you. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep customizes their mattress to fit you in the way you sleep the best. So whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper or you like a soft or a firm bed I'm a side sleeper. I sleep hot and I like a really soft bed. So with Helix there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. Helix Sleep was even awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans Take their two minute sleep quiz. It's very easy, very user friendly, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. It is so amazingly comfortable and they have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it for free for 100 nights risk free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you definitely will love it. And sleep is very important in these times, so they're offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com/dailybeans. That's helix h e l i x sleep.com/dailybeans for up to $125 off. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It is time for our good news block. We really need it this week. So from Adele Giuseppe, I am starting a surgical face mask sewing project at Seaside Quilt Guild here in San Diego, anticipating that the local medical system will be tapped out. We have an abundance of fabric, And most of us have a little fabric addiction, so obviously we have time on our hands. Uh, Our mothers and grandmothers and even some of our guild members knit socks and beanies. They knitted socks and beanies for World War II, so we can make a difference too. Uh, Just starting this up has helped me feel less helpless. So that is really awesome. Uh, Seaside Quilt Guild here in San Diego. Anne has written in and says, can you give some love to my husband, David, and the rest of the ER crew at St. Joseph's Hospital in Orange, California? My husband and I are big fans and highest level supporters on Patreon. And our folks on the front lines really need our support. A hundred percent. And um, and David, thank you. And the entire ER crew at St. Joseph Hospital in Orange, California. Thank you for all you do. Um, I'm staying home. You guys go to work. So I'm staying home for you. You you work for us. I'm staying home for you. Everyone who can hear me stay the fuck home. Support our folks on the front lines. And thank you uh, to our heroes uh, who are who are working so diligently and, and bravely. Uh, in 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 healthcare right now. And so hello, ER crew at St. Joseph Hospital in Orange. Hello, and thank you. And we love you uh, from Jen donor. My town of Manhattan Beach is doing something cool to help local restaurants and support emergency medical staff. The Manhattan Beach Business Association is accepting donations to provide free meals to hospital staff on the front lines of the crisis. This initiative should be duplicated everywhere. Learn more about it at uh, downtown Manhattan dot com slash donate. So everybody check that out. If you have the ability to help, Um, I'm sure they could use it. Brenda Westbury says, Thank you to Jordan for mentioning how difficult this is for high school seniors. My son is a senior and having a hard time. No prom, no yearbook signings, no graduation party, no graduation for that matter. Uh, It may seem minor in the big scheme of things, but it will affect these kids long term. My grandmother was a teenager during the Great Depression. She lived to be 90, but those events changed her and affected her for her entire life. So thank you, Jordan, for your empathy. You are good news. That is really, really sweet. Thank you, Brenda. And uh, sending love out to, to your son because it's got to be so hard. Um, when you're, you know, when you're senior high school, that's your life right then, you know? And so I, I really just big virtual hugs to all of you. Um, from Kiomi Today, I learned you can get Girl Scout cookies delivered. Thank you, Kiomi. I am going to look into that because I think a tube of Thin Mints is just what the doctor ordered, or Samoas. They're both very delicious. And you're supporting a good organization. I was a Girl Scout until I was 18. And then I was a leader. And then I was a, a wrangler. And I taught horseback riding and archery uh, at camps in northern Arizona. So anybody else who... Worked at Willow Springs or Maripai. A big shout out to you. Uh, I did as well. And it was really, really one of the best times of my life. So Um, thank you and get those Girl Scout cookies delivered. Vanna Jordan. I saw a post in the patron Facebook group that warmed my heart. Folks are turning their little free libraries into little free pantries where community members are putting in canned and shelf stable foods for anyone in need. And you can stop by and pick up things if you need it. I love that. What a great idea. Thank you, Vanna for that good news uh monica Fintel uh says social distancing and work from home means the puppy we adopted after christmas gets his family full time he's going to be so spoiled when we get back to normal yes that's true and i did read a post on twitter about a dog who was so excited that their family was home that they they wagged their tail so much they took the, the and apparently the dog sprained its tail it's fine everything's fine but i just thought that was very heartwarming all right, let's get on with the more good news here. Brendan Clark for Jordan in relation to having online dance parties while in isolation. Wavexr.com is an established platform for this very thing. You can join via desktop viewer or by VR headset, which is the best way to experience a virtual Burning Man concert experience. All users have their own private caves where they can DJ and VJ their own parties. Check it out. That sounds amazing. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, Jameson Marr. Here's my good news. A, our body politic is more divided than ever, yet, by and large, we have come together in a crisis to stay apart. It gives me hope to experience a cooperative national effort on a scale not seen since World War II. And B, the worse the numbers get, the better the situation actually is. What is so scary and invisible about the handling of a pandemic is the lack of meaningful data. So what seems like an escalating situation is really the data resolving and becoming clear. The scale of the monster is revealed, so now we can face it and defeat it intelligently. Uh, quote, fairy tales do not tell children the dragons exist. Children already know the dragons exist. Fairy, ta- fairy tales tell children the dragons can be killed. And that is from G.K. Chesterton. Um, from Forest Creature, shelter in place is not a thing for stray cats, I guess. It's their world now. <laughs> Wildlife will be roaming the streets, and I welcome this. Um, from Idahoan, if you need some soothing content, you can find live cams of all kinds of animals at explore.org slash live cams. Uh, From Zacharias Kaminsky, since Tulsi dropped her campaign and endorsed Biden, I can enjoy this cup of Tulsi tea from Trader Joe's without mixed emotions. That is the good news. Thank you all for sending it in. We'll continue to keep asking for your good news stories so we can share uh, the love and hopefully have a little pick me up at the end of these episodes with all of the news that's happening. Uh, I think it's a really good and important balance. So thank you so much for sending all that information. Um, That is our show for today. And we will continue to bring you shows um, throughout this shelter-in-place situation, no matter what. So stay tuned, stick around, and we will see you soon. Uh, Please, until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G., and them's the beans.